HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. It's our first travel abroad show in quite a while. I'm out here in uh, Copenhagen in, in uh, Denmark, and uh, we're meeting our food and drink friends from many years in the industry. Um, going way back, uh, I remember it might have been 2009 or 10 in New York City when there was the first wave of new craft beer coming from Scandinavia. We, we did a special tasting with the Shelton Brothers importers at the Danish consulate at the United Nations in New York City, and, and it was a really great tasting, some of the first... Uh, McCuller had single hot beers and a few others like, uh, oh man, Norbro Brugis and Amager. And um, we remember the consul saying to us, hey man, it, I'm embarrassed because we don't know any of these craft beers ourselves and we only have Budweiser in the office. So it's full circle. I'm, I'm finally in Copenhagen and we're doing something that's that's very Danish. We're at a a, a brewery that's dealing with waste and, uh, and beer, and um, we've got some history with that. So we're going to talk to our guest. That's a little introduction for our listeners and for, and for our engineer. Um, so we're going to talk, talk with our guest. Simon, just give a quick introduction, your full name, and a little bit about this business. Hey, everybody. Um, my name is Simon. I'm actually originally from Lithuania. I've been living in Denmark for more than 10 years now, um, running a brewery called Broil. Um, it's basically also it's in the name, which is beer plus bread. Um, that's how everything started somewhere in 2007, I would say. Um, Why I saw opportunity to merge two worlds of sustainability, innovation, and beverage industry. Um, so where everything started, that we started taking surplus bread from bakeries, from uh, different industrial bakeries as well, and converting that into craft beers. 
So basically every hour beer now uh, incorporates surplus bread. Yeah. You know, for, for an intro, some people always ask, what came first 10,000 years ago, beer or bread? And it seems like they're, they're, they're naturally intertwined. They are, and it's still unclear, right? Um, right now, I think everything is merging again. We're trying to find new ways of, of doing things. Um, so some would say it's innovation. Um, I more than often go back as just remembering what we used to do back in the days uh, with a modern twist. Well, it, it, we've looked at b beer and bread for a while. Our friend uh, Tristan Stewart do, does toast in, in the UK. We, we met him quite a few years ago, and, and we've done some shows. But I feel like uh, w w here in Denmark, it's it's has a deeper meaning. Um, here, seeing the concepts of waste, we talk about climate change. There's a do-gooder aspect to it in in, this, in the United States. There's also uh, in, always a profit incentive, like put you know tax incentives for putting in solar energy. But it just doesn't always make sense to me. But here in Denmark, it, it seems to make sense, and there's some kind of sensibleness about it that that it seems like it makes sense to not waste, but it's also a, it's a good business too. Well. Yes and no and yes. I think it's yet to be defined because what we're trying to do here, it's, it's never been done before. We also, of course, we're starting with the similar ideas that people then taking bread and converting that into a, a craft beer. Uh, but as a business model, as a brewery, as a circular brewery, that's, that's quite new. So it's yet to be seen, I think maybe in five, six, seven years, how that industry of circularity of flavors um, going to develop. Yeah, I think that's the... Um, sort of trajectory and the journey everyone is in. It's definitely that, I think, I have, like, for example, I started with, um, you know, this is not my first project and, and a sort of a company. Um, everything started in a nonprofit setting, right? I was exposed to all the food waste. Uh, I'm an engineer, I'm a chef, also started nonprofits that address the food waste uh, in, in different kind of ways. Um, and it's always was a struggle to, to manage to sort of a balance the financial side of the things together with the, as you said, uh, uh, good, good doers, or do-gooders, do or green, yeah. green mindset, green mindset, right? So eventually, I kind of ventured into this, what I call it, uh, uh, business for impact now with this company, and trying to figure out where this intersection is with the. Um, impact and also with the profitability because it's one thing to to build something that's environmentally focused um, at the same time has a financial sustainability in the long term and this is also what's important of course we started as a bread to beer uh, but what we learned very quickly that this is just a great start and we shouldn't stop over there because otherwise it's just a gimmick it's just a, it's a great inspirational maybe story, um, but we need to look deeper into how breweries actually work, how much waste breweries produce, and how can we actually uh, do something about it, bring more value into it instead of a, um, you know producing beer on the side and then having these mountains of, of organic waste happening at the same time. Um, so we're working on many other projects, how to address that sort of a circularity, zero waste brewing, what to do with spent uh, grain, spent yeast, uh, spent hops, and so on. And as I told you before, our neighbor's uh, fungal farm. Um, 
quite key in that journey for us. Because what we learned that the spent grain is a very similar, it's actually a quite good substrate for the mushroom growing. Right, so why together in this building, sharing the, uh, uh, the building that's, you know, right now they're buying a substrate to grow mushrooms and we are wasting and paying someone uh, waste management fees for every kilogram of spent grain we produce. Whatever it goes to the animals, whatever it goes to the biogas production. Um, but for me, the, the standard sort of like has to be that all the, because we choose ingredients quite carefully as the highest quality as possible. Um, and what's left is not a waste. It actually still has a lot of value, a lot of fiber, a lot of protein. Um, and that has to be used in, in my sort of um, mind. That has to stay on a, on a human consumption level as long as possible um, instead of downcycling all the time. Um, so there's a lot of aspects to be addressed. And even pushing further for me, you know, we are of course, we produce beer, and you can see over there in the fridges, we are primarily a beer-driven uh, brewery, um, but also realizing that just being a little bit smarter how we design beverage production companies when it comes to equipment, to processes, um, to flavor developments, we can actually become much more diverse and flexible in the way we produce beverages, including beer. Uh, we can, well, what we did here, we actually sort of a, created a hybrid between a craft brewery, a commercial brewery, and a sake brewery. We sort of borrowed those elements to, to merge into this. You know, we call it brewery. We haven't found a fermentary or, or like what was the brewery 3.0 or something like that, right? <laughs> um, just to give us an, a, an opportunity to actually be very flexible with inputs. So in, in our case, ingredients, right? So we don't get... One of the sort of a bottleneck or a can neck, as I sometimes say, in, in a brewing industry or on a craft beer uh, level is that um, everyone depends on barley so much. And I was sort of like un, under this quest to understand why barley is such a, such a big, big dominant sort of a grain in, in a brewing uh, world. Uh, then I started realizing that actually equipment is designed for the barley. Right? So if you want to use other grains, maybe you can do it up to 20%, 30% if you like it. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's just barley, barley, barley. Um, and then the same thing goes if you go down back to the supply chain, you will see that barley is all around the, the farms. It's just a monocultures of barley um, being grown just for the industry, just for those flavors that we all got used to. So going back, learning from commercial producers, from soccer producers, what we learned that we can design a, a brewery that actually can handle any kind of grain to 100%. So you know, one. So now we can go back to our farmers, our malters, and say, like, you know, um, can you grow buckwheat? Have you ever thought of growing buckwheat? How buckwheat is doing in this climate? You know, where we are in, in this sort of a. Um, Nordic region, what kind of other grains, you know, climate is shifting. This, this year has been terrible for grain growers here in Denmark. No rain, a lot of rain now. Um, so being that flexible together also with the farmers um, and what kind of uh, products we can produce out of that as well. I think it's quite important uh, aspect to, to have in mind, even in the initial design of the business models, of the products that we develop and then the breweries um, as a whole.
So what are some things that you've adapted in your brewing equipment? Yeah, so one of the, I mean, we're going to go a little bit geeky here, right? Yeah, your audience is afraid. <laughs> um, well, actually it starts, if you look at the left and we're looking at the sort of uh, ingredient side of things, this is our, let's say, grain processing um, side of, of, of the brewery. Um, what we decided to do is that instead of just crushing a grain, just opening it up as usual is done in the craft breweries, uh, we looked how it's done in commercial producers. And the commercial producers, uh, they actually use quite fine, fine input, almost like a flour. So we learned, okay, we can actually use a hammer mill to produce flour out of the grain, just obliterating uh, uh, grains into uh, basically dust. Once you do that, it, it's all great. Efficiencies are going up. The, the speed of, of, of processes, mash, mashing is, is much faster as well. Um, but afterwards, the way the equipment's usually designed, like a, a mash tun, for example, you know, it's, it's a false bottom place where basically you drain the grain from the, from the wort. Um, and you can't do that if you start using a lot of bread to begin with, and if you start using flour of any kind, because it's just a goo. Right? So you need to start thinking about different kind of ways. And then we looked at commercial producers, they don't really have mash tons. Um, uh, also started looking at the sake production, how they do that, because over there, they actually ferment together with the grain, with rice. Right? That goes directly into the fermenters, and at some point, they need to separate that. So what we learned, the, the way it's done, now we're going a bit in the middle over here, it's, the, it's a long sort of a piece of equipment, it's called, it's called mash filter. Basically, we take in all that porridge and using a lot of pressure, a lot of membranes, we press it out to the last bit uh, very efficiently. And also, it doesn't matter anymore the grain size, what goes down, you can just feed the flour. You can do 100% buckwheat, 100% oats, 100, whatever, 100% 100 bread, you know, if the... Um, and then it's just like, as actually, as we were designing, it involved on the, sort of dawned on us that, what I mean, that actually, if we get rid of the, a grain, let's say we forget that grain exists and bread doesn't exist either, we actually have a, a, an equipment in place where, you know, we can take pulp, we can take coffee, we can do the infusions, we can do separations with the same equipment. So that just broadens up our, you know, from the brewery of beer into brewery of beverages, basically. And just what it means further, for example, our upcoming product is uh, it's a seltzer. There's gonna be two versions, soft seltzer, like just sparkling lemonade, right? Uh, and, a, and, and a hard seltzer with some alcohol. And the way we're going to do, we have friends around the, not far from here, it's called Frankly Juice, um, or now it's Frankly, and they produce juice, right? They press out a lot of apples, a lot of carrots, a lot of gingers, and, you know, and then that's their, their end product. But they have a lot of pulp left, even though they're using very efficient equipment to press it out. Uh, it's still a lot of uh, flavors uh, left in, in that pulp. So what we got, what actually we, we designed now a product that, we get the pulp here, we do the extraction, maybe a little fermentation, and then we can press it out again, carbonate it, and then it goes into different beverages. It's neat. We should talk a little bit about those, those in, uh, byproduct ingredients like, like pulp. I remember years ago I met uh, one of the chefs from Blue Hill in Manhattan, 
and um, they had collaborated with a, also a, a juice presser who had a lot of uh, beet and other vegetable pulps, and they created their own uh, patties, uh, ve veggie patties, which was based on the pulp, which had a lot of the beet, the beet juice and everything still in it. Yeah. So let's let's talk about those byproducts, and then then you're gonna tell me about how, did you first did you design this equipment? Is this a unique equipment, or is this equipment that you've just modified? I think it's both. One of the things that we realized when we started wishing to have a equipment of our own is that you know as i said before industry is quite locked in there is equipment that you can go buy off the shelf that exists there but if you want to start modifying things it's quite difficult it's a lot of capital investments um some of the manufacturers in europe they wanted us actually to pay them just to do experiments to see if it even works you know. Um, and then we tried to find a, you know, I'm an engineer, my, my partner Mike is also an engineer. Um, so we felt quite comfortable designing sort of a process and systems and, and, and this brewery. And then we actually went back to, because one of the things that this mash filter at this level and the sake production, it's not the knowledge that you can find in, the, in this part of the world. So we more and more sort of it was China, Japan, China, Japan, China, Japan, where we finally found a, a, a manufacturer that, that kind of got the idea and wanted to work back and forth uh, with us to design how it works. And again, this is, you know, a version one for us. Um, hopefully it's going to be a, a other versions as well that we can actually improve because we learned quite a, quite a bit. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk about the beer. So, the beer, yeah. you know, it, it, there's an element of working with byproducts, waste, and and bread. But when I walked in, it, it smelled like a brewery. You know that 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 malty, bready smell. So uh, th let's talk about the the styles of beer you make, you, you're brewing, and um, the flavors. We're not. It's like nine o'clock in the morning here, so we're drinking some tea. But we'll have some beer soon. Yeah. Um. So for for the past. Five six years, it's, it's we, we brewed probably everything that's that's possible and impossible to brew. Uh, where we ended up right now, with also when we, we look at our assortment, we have actually quite we position ourselves in um, a little bit differently than any craft brewery would you would find um, positioning themselves. We just started kind of exploring craft beer bars. Um, we see ourselves a little bit being more of a more we want to be in the place where it's sort of for more people more open more sort of like a, um, more approachable because what our sort of agenda is our agenda is for impact right for telling the story raising awareness um, and a craft beer um, audience it's not necessarily there yet to to be interested about that aspect. It's getting there, but it's not within the industry to sort of talk about those things too much. Um, so we're going a little bit broader. We designed current beers. You know, we kind of we call, for example, the first one is a pilsner-like. We kind of even we, we we try to be a little bit more gentle with our approach because we're already like contradicting in, in so many. Uh, uh, aspects so we said pilsner like you know it's because there's so many things that it's not like a lager style um 
you know, to begin with the ingredients process, and then we also use Quake yeast. It's a very special yeast. We ferment at, you know, 38 degrees, um, still producing clean and crisp products. Um, yeah, we, we've done shows on Quake. Yeah. A lot of the breweries in New York City have been using that for a while. It just makes sense. And for us, it came to sort of like from two, two sides, how we ended up actually being 100% Quake-based brewery when we're producing our own beers. Um, it came from actually you know, every process, every ingredient, we screen through two kind of our perspectives, basically. One is through flavor, what it is for a flavor, how we can control that, you know, sort of maximizing and, and, and achieving uh, profiles that we wish. And also through the environmental perspective, how does that actually fit into our story? How does that fit in, a, um, in our sustainability sort of profile? And what we learn with Craig that is just it's just right there sits, you know, like when you can ferment at 38, 40 degrees, you don't have to cool down that much. So already you're saving time, you're saving energy on doing that. Fermentation is just a blast. It just it's literally rips from from like I don't know, sometimes from whatever six to twenty-four hours fermentation is done. So being with a crowd brewery with a limited size, being able to turn over fermenters quickly. Uh, it's a really, um, really beneficiary. And then also what we realized that um, the flavor profiles, well, I think that's one of the things that's still in development and maybe it's a bit missing also when it comes to research is that um, you can't really find that much information. For example, if you take a regular yeast, you will know like, oh, I'm, I'm brewing uh, or I'm fermenting at this sort of, uh, with that kind of word, uh, in this temperature, with those pressures, and then so on and so on, and you would get that kind of result. With Quake, it's a little bit still Wild West, um, and we are probably the, an experimentation level, like we have a 25 hectoliter, 30 hectoliter fermenters, that's basically a, a, an experiment every time um, to sort of, and what we're seeing is that we can actually, within the recipe, within the temperatures, we can tweak in a way that um, it produces a very unique flavor profiles. It actually mimics some of the hop uh, profiles that we would be adding into the beers. So we can actually reduce the amount of ingredients of hops um, into our products and just let the, the yeast do the its magical things. Um, so yeah, Quebec has been and still quite a quite a bit of a journey for us to, to figure out. Um, so that's our personal like. Then we have an IPA, Haze IPA, you know, something like it's a. Also, we reduce the bitterness. A lot of people like if we want to go to the broader, tell the story to a broader audience. Um, bitterness is not something that it's very sought for. Uh, so we have a. It's a Haze is tropical. You you'll have a taste. Um, but also mild a little bit on the on the bitterness. Um, then we have a, yeah. So just one thing, just about the the local beer scene here in Copenhagen. Uh, do you have any uh, beer bars where they carry your your product? And or, did you do a tasting recently? We just we had like I think three events yesterday. Yeah, and we had a tap takeover at one of the crowd bars. Um, Will you tell our listeners where they were, the locations? Um, so two events, it's, uh, we also B Corp certified brewery, if that's, um, I think it's, uh, globally recognized now, 
certification. So we have two events with the B Corp community. There's, you know, building, becoming stronger, sharing the stories and how we can sort of uh, together um, build better businesses. And then at the same time, we had a tap takeover at Dialect. Um, it's a craft, small craft beer bar in, in Copenhagen, um, where we took over like six taps with different beers. So t tell us, how is the craft beer bar, bar scene in Copenhagen? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think it's you asking a person that actually, uh, a full disclosure, I don't drink alcohol. That's another contradiction, right? Uh, running a brewery and, and, and not actually drinking alcohol. Um, so I'm not really that much exposed, but still we work with the crowd, uh, crowd beer bars. Um, what we're seeing is that it's still kind of a, a similar that IPAs are driving. Uh, now, of course, we're in a darker season, so the Christmas beers and sort of a darker um, aspects uh, coming into play. Um, but IPAs, sours, still hops, uh, very strong, influencing the scene. I think it's, as everyone is talking, the, I'm pretty sure that all the lagers, pilsners, gonna make a comeback quite soon. Um, it's also maybe from the flavor perspective and people just, you know, it's been saturated and sort of coming back a little bit more uh, balanced palates. Uh, but also there is an inevitability, especially for craft breweries, is that when you look at the ingredients, for example, if you are organic, as, as we are organic uh, brewery in, in Denmark, uh, organic ingredients, uh, when it comes to hops, is it's so limited to begin with, and this year has been such a bad, um, bad harvest that it's not available. So you know it, what what it pushes is that it also reflects into the product that okay we can't really do those crazy hop beers anymore, or at least for uh, for this um, season, and then we need to refocus on what's actually doable at the, at the high quality. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, we're off to a great start. We're out here in Copenhagen. It's November 18th or 19th, 2023. And um, we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese... The tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheese-making craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, hey, now we're coming back. Uh, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio. We're in Copenhagen, Denmark, on the road with Simon of uh, Brol. Uh, it's a brewery that, that uses food waste, kind of like bread, but a lot more than that. We're having a great conversation. Support us. Become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. So, Simon, we're talking about beer bars and flavors and beer, but but back to food waste. So, at the beginning, I said I said bread, but but I was thinking of other brewers I've met, and then I'm thinking of things like rye kvass, 
and other tra traditional. But you're you're going somewhere different. You're talking about using different types of food waste, different processes. Um, but it, it does seem very Danish to me or Nordic. This concept of now that I've, I've been here for a few days, this concept of waste is seen very differently than than we're hearing about in the states. In the states, there's big projects with big money, you know, like electric cars. But you don't always see that that makes a, a real difference. Here, it seems like there's a sensibility where there's like on the toilet there's one button for the the, the number one light flush, and then there's a a bigger flush for the bigger business. I mean, I'm 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 trying to be very realistic when it comes to all those things. Um, what Denmark is really good at, every time we have a good story to tell, it's really well told. That's one of the I think biggest learnings for me to to understand how this country works. Um, yet, when it comes, you know, more to the like when we look at the numbers, there was a you know, circularity. Is a, it's a big topic for us, circular brewery. Um, you know, the the latest report puts puts Denmark so low when it comes to circularity, just in general materials and and and, uh, and organic um, materials. I think it's only like four percent of a potential. It's that that relies, and what you know, it's a and it came out. Some people don't want to hear that story. Uh, they don't really share about it, and they continue talking about how sustainable everything is. Uh, I think it's not it's not helping anyone. So there's a lot of bikers, but they're all wearing luxury brands. For example, right, or or also the reasons why we're cycling. You know, there is it's, it's a quite complex. I think it can't be just put in 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 a boxes in black and white. Um, Yet, what happened is actually recently, you know, it, they released this report maybe two, three months ago, um, and everyone was just, who actually was kind of honest about it, was perplexed about uh, the situation. You know, everyone hears the just the good stories and the sort of worst things that are not really talked about uh, on a public discourse. And I thought, well, that's about it. You know, we're trying to do our best. We're sharing our story, building our community, you know, one beer at a time, one partner at a time, and sort of like, you know, using flavors and beverages to spearhead that awareness and sustainability and innovation and inspire people, right? We're not perfect. Like, we do a lot of things that we would like not to be doing, um, but we're still learning how to actually address it and be quite transparent about it. Um, so when this report came out uh, assessing the circularity sort of level of, of Denmark, you know, I th that's, that's about, was about it. I, I, I didn't know that anything is going to happen. And now, I think yesterday or two days before, they announced that Danish, um, some of the uh, governmental body, just released a huge funding opportunity for actually closing that gap within the circularity. So actually putting funds into that innovation and trying to figure out with the businesses, with the small businesses. So you, you do need to put money into it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's not It's just, yeah, it's not going to come. I mean, the, one of the reasons why it's possible to, what I always say when I compare, let's say, with um, where I come from, from Lithuania or uh, other countries that I know of, um, there's a lot of, funding available here for those kind of things as you said people are conscious that that's the thing you know that's the sort of a direction that one can move um and i think it's a little bit easier to take uh, risks in this country because the the 
the support if everything fails you know you feel that there is there is some social sort of a, a, a network uh, uh, even the financial support you know if everything goes to to shit <laughs> you know so what it puts you that taking risk is not anymore like uh, you know make it or die sort of a situation you can actually take risk it doesn't work you go back you innovate you go back and try again I think having that second kind of chances, second chances. Yeah. Also, it's a small country too, so it's small country you can well. do do things and yeah. there's options. And you know, when we thinking, we sitting, it's it's quite, I mean, it's a nice setup, but it's not going to change the world. I mean, let's going to have a dent in Denmark. We're going to inspire a lot of people. Um, the way we're looking, like we have even, you know, we have some ambitions also uh, for the states, and we're already talking to some people in New York. Um, right now, where it doesn't make sense, you know, a lot of breweries, what they do is that or a lot of even food producers, you know, they produce, they saturate the market to the extent and then like start looking with the export. Right? Maybe it makes sense with some uh, uh, around the countries you, you border with, uh, but when it comes to Asia, when it comes to, you know, Australia, States and then so forth, um, export, no matter how big you are, it's just, it's a it's a crazy idea from environmental perspective. Maybe business-wise, it still can make um, ends meet. So for us, it's like, well, what is it that we're trying to do here? Can we actually contract it? Can we actually inspire with all the processes, all the ideas that we design here, and just take that model and go where producers already are? Because you know, it's the same world. We're facing the same issues. And we have spent grain here. We have spent grain in Europe. Right? We have bread waste in Denmark. We have bread waste over there. So, coming with those ideas to another producers and inspiring, um, and at the same time, offering that to to the rest of the market as a as a product, but also as a you know, awareness raising. A lot of companies, even within the food industry, you probably see like. Um, if you want to stay in the game, this competitive advantage to raise your sustainability profile and raise it in a way that it's not hollow, not shallow. It actually means something. Actually, you're proud of it. Everyone is involved, like in a restaurant, you know, um, down and up, sharing the story, why they're doing the things they're doing, and sort of a, um, yeah, showing that responsibility in different ways. Yeah. Um, back to the the mushroom. You're. Yeah. Your neighbor here. Uh, just talk us through specifically what you're doing with the spent grain and how it works with the mushroom growing. And why that's different from just selling it to a farm for cows and other animals. Yeah, um, let's try to make it less maybe romantic. That's, that's one of the things that I'm trying to de and myth busting myth busting yeah just before we jump into this one there's a you know when i entered into craft beer brewing brewing industry sort of it's i came from this i think a lot of people perceive craft beer industry from the romantic perspective that it's a local production that to some extent it's more responsible production that you know you know the person who is producing you kind of build this trust it has to be more sustainable what i found out just looking at the numbers is that you know more and more i started looking up when it comes to the processes uh more to the commercial producers than the craft beer brewers um and realizing that there is a big gap between those 
two worlds, and they invested billions trying to optimize the process. We're not talking about flavors here. That's another, we, we should put that aside. When it comes to the processes and sort of borrowing all that knowledge that they have over there and you know, making sure that we, we can, it's not lost and we can take advantage of it on a smaller scale, I think is so important. Um, and also so many producers, you go to the local brewery, you, you know, it's a local brewery, you can see it. It's of course a great aspect to be um, exposed to it, meet the people that are actually producing. And then you start looking at the sort of from the distance, what kind of ingredients they're using, where the ingredients are coming from. So for me, a local brewery, a crowd brewery, I would expect to see at least within the region that ingredients are coming from. When I don't see that, and that's very often, then it becomes a little bit like weird. Like what is happening here? You know, the stories that this crowd brewery, this one is responsible. And when we look at the process of the ingredients and sort of partners that are working, you know, primarily in New Zealand, American hops, uh, malts from all around the place. Um, and then we look at our malters and say, well, they don't provide what we need. Well, I wonder why. If we don't buy basics from them, how are they going to provide anything? How are they going to even invest? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a cycle that needs to be supported and we have to make that first step. Um, yeah, what was the, where we started this? Oh, the mushrooms, mushrooms yeah. and uh, yeah. spent grain. So uh, we're going to start the project, already actually started. So practically, it's not, I think it's important to realize that it, it's, you know, any kind of that project, any circularity, if you if we want to address in one any kind of business, it needs resources. It's not the, just a, a wishful thinking that oh, I have also spent grain, let's do something about it. It's you know, maybe it will work for a week, maybe it will work for two. There has to be a resource to begin with to develop, research that sort of a um, aspect of the of the challenge, and then making sure that actually it makes a financial. Uh, sense because otherwise everyone involved is just gonna run out of the energy uh, very quickly so this is where we're starting we made sure that we are in the same building to begin with um, that was our first step because logistics is everything when it comes to circularity you want to reduce the um, the distances things travel um, and then now the second step came into a picture where we actually we raised uh, or we, we applied for funding for project to do to do this idea this sort of like a, uh, taking spent grain investigating what actually we're producing as spent grain how it fits into the mushroom growing uh, what kind of results do they get right so again it's a research and development process and project by the end of it i think we have like six months to go we'll see where and how it makes sense for both producers, right, and also for the quality, because at the end of the day, it has to be same or higher quality of the product that they're getting. Um, and we have a really great opportunity because we're in the same building, so feedback back and forth is gonna be really fast and, and, and uh, on point. Um, what we realized, just by exposing ourselves, we were close by, they were in the basement in the previous location, Fungo Farm, and we were sort of on top. And we just, you know, by being so close to each other, we see what we do, right? So I see that I have a spent grain, and then I see what kind of ingredients they're receiving, and I'm like, this is like a sawdust. 
a little bit of grain in there. I'm like, this is the same thing that we're actually producing as a byproduct, right? Um, and then we just started playing around a little bit and we're like, okay, you are buying ingredients from somewhere that we are already paying someone to get rid of from us. There has to be sort of a better idea here. Um, and it's a bit, and again, at a regular setup, it would be maybe a little bit difficult to design things like that because breweries' uh, purpose is to brew beer. Breweries have no purpose to produce the high quality byproducts. So when we were designing, it was really important for us, hey, we actually know how to produce great beer, at least we think, and then the feedback we get, how we can actually have a space and a sort of a platform and a, um, and the processes where we, we, I'm gonna go back a little bit. When you, you take any recipe development, um, program or process, or if you can go to a brewing school, the way it usually is, it's also very similar to culinary schools. You have a recipe, you have an ingredient, you go and purchase those ingredients to, to make those recipes and you have a result. One thing that in a, in, a, in a food space and also in a brewing space, one thing that is missing there and it's always there is that every process produces waste. And everyone knows that, but it's not included in the recipes, right? When you chop carrots, it doesn't say that, hey, you're gonna have a carrot tops. You can actually do that and use those things. It, it, now it started sort of like the, being this mindset. The same with the brewery, when we said, okay, we know that we're gonna have as much as beer we produce, we're gonna have as much of organic waste. It's just given. So instead of saying like, oh, we're gonna handle it as usual, let's make sure that we can actually control the quality that we get. That's where the mash filter comes in with the spent grain. We know exactly how hard we can press out. We know exactly what particle size is there. Um, we know exactly the nutritional value of it. And we can control it now. And when, you know, because they need a very, they have a very small range of, for example, humidity they can use of, of the spent grain. And now we can do that just because we thought about those things before building. Um, the, the what, what are a couple uh, items in that, that spent grain that the mushrooms like? Is it everything or there's, are there certain grains? The fiber, because what, what the substitute sort of like comes in, in the usual mushroom production, you have, um, well, let's say sawdust, that's one of the things, sort of like a woody material. Um, and then you have um, more of a food source for, for the mushrooms to, to kickstart the process, like a grain, just grains actually inside. And then a couple more maybe minerals and, and nutrients. Um, so whereas spent grain is actually both, it's a grain, but also we extracted all the starch in the process, right? some of the protein, uh, and now it's sort of this, uh, fiber with protein, some very little residual sugars left there, and maybe minuscule amount of, of starch. Um, and it's, it's just exactly what the mushrooms actually want. So it's more about designing the process, also designing, you know, when the mash comes out, uh, or spent grain comes out, it's like at 85 degrees. Right? So also designing a process, well, when we should start the mushroom growing, you know, um, how long it actually can stand like this. We know for sure that it can stand longer now than from the traditional um, 
beer making process because it's just so much drier. When it comes out of a mash filter, it's just like the first thing that you get an impression is that it's a, it looks like a insulation. It's like a block, completely dry material. Um, so that's for the mushroom growers, right? And then without actually thinking of it, we, the bread we get from the, directly from the producer. So we always wanted to, you know, when I look, think romantically about the beer brewing, I see this sort of like a back back in time where, you know, you have a brewery, you have a bakery and you have a farm. And it's, everything happens at the same time over there, right? It's just like, you don't know where one starts and another begins sort of a situation. Um, and I imagine still the same, a bit more sort of now, you know, modern with all the logistics and uh, processes. I still look for those connections. And one of the first things when we moved into this place, we started building out and we started scouting who is around in this, you know, you saw how industrial this place is, right? Yeah, it used to be actually uh, a cable producer, electrifying world, NKT company that built all this industry. It's like Fort Knox. Fort Knox this yeah. gate security, just to get in to <laughs> yeah, get yeah. my beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I usually say it's a gated community. <laughs> but what we realized that just around the corner, we have one of the biggest um, bakers. Bakeries here. They have like a 200 uh, uh, shops in, in Denmark just around the corner. That's lucky for you. You know, um, and for us, like working with the baker, with our suppliers, one thing about it is just distance because we're dealing with such a big volume of spent grain or bread or, or, or anything. So being close to each other is, is super important. Um, so now we're gonna have probably next year a project where they bread comes here, we produce the beer, beer goes into the shops, uh, spent grain goes back to them and they bake bread and different products and it goes back to shops. And... Oh, yeah, we, 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 we've met, I know a, a, a cracker maker in, in Boston area that's, you know? he, he's took him a while to evolve from getting small batches of spent grain to now he's got more of a production with a bakery where they're making uh, crackers and uh, pita chips out of, yeah. out of that. Um, what kind of bread do you use? Does it matter? Um, we kind of narrow down on the, our supplier has clean products. That's the, the, the first sort of a, a, a standard um, to look for because bread is the most wasted food item across the board. Um, but then you can actually discriminate breads uh, or bread a, as you go because some is coming from the craft bakeries, uh, which is more fast paced, um, going probably, you know, not desirable in two, three days. Um, but what you get there, you get clean products, meaning that it's most of the time bread, or flour, sourdough, water, maybe some salt, that's it. Um, so we're trying to go after uh, using this kind of bread, which is clean product, because you know we want. It's pretty much the same what we're already using, um, but when you start venturing into commercial bread, then it starts being. That's one of the things when we're talking to the bakeries and the commercial producers that are interested in upcycling um, their own waste. And waste is going to be there all the time. We just need to figure out what to do with it. Um, I keep 
raising sort of a point that it's possible. It's you know all taking out commercial bread and then upcycling that into bread, but they need to realize that anything you put in a beer, you have to carry that ingredient list. And when you look at the commercial bread, I mean ingredient list is a quite lengthy one, just to make sure that it's a long shelf life, um, you know meets all the criteria of the taste and and and, and so on. So we sort of don't touch that much of the commercial commercial bread yet. Um, I think down the line we're going to address that as well and, and incorporate. Um, but that's going to be a different kind of product a little bit, I think, or sort of a um, less craft beer or so. Yeah, yeah down the road. But um, also in your, in your recipes, what percentage of is, is bread? Um, we have beers... Somewhere between 40, 40 and 25% that we do when we do beer, depending on what kind of a style of, of, of beer we do. Uh, Pilsners, we're trying to build more gentle uh, just because you know most of the bread is wheat, so we're basically adding wheat into beers. Um, but in some beers like New England IPAs and IPAs, wheat is, is welcomed quite, quite a bit. Um, even going further, you know, I keep sort of like opening this up discussion of, um, sure, beer, you know, we like it. It's an amazing product. Like even I don't drink alcohol anymore. Like I, I, I love tasting it. I, I love um, complexity of it. And it's just, I think it's the most complex beverage you can you can think of at the moment um, before entering in all this hybrid world. What we're also gonna do this year, uh, we're joining together with um, with a bunch of food businesses and an ice cream producer. We're gonna be producing uh, bread syrup that's gonna go into the ice cream production. Um, like, like a malt syrup? Like a malt syrup, just a bread syrup, right? We have all the equipment that it's, that it's needed to produce that. We already done that. We're also producing bread syrup to, um, for, well, we're producing bread syrup when we're producing beer. That's basically what is, what's happening there. And once we realize that actually we can use that as as an ingredient in a lot of sodas, uh, in cocktails, and, and things like that. So it's just every day we realize in something, oh, you know, there's application over there. It's like, I think when it comes to all these exciting products and the sort of uh, things that we're talking today is that the technology, ideas, creativity, it's already there for everyone to take and sort of play with. What it's still behind and one of the challenges that we're having and trying to figure out with our partners is that distribution. How actually we can, you know, carve out this whatever fits in the market, you know, in, in here what we're trying to do is sort of promote circular living in different ways through beverages, through flavor. Um, in some markets, maybe upcycling is going to be, you know, upcycle products are really sort of coming out and carving its own category in, in you know, shelves and, and so on. Um, so uh, building this understanding between the producer, your client, uh, and consumer um, that there is a value being offered beyond the flavor, you know, and how to communicate about that. I think this is the biggest challenge for everyone working in, in the space of sustainability innovation how the hell to talk about it. Like, 
what kind of words actually have meaning. It's, it has to taste good. Yeah, oh, definitely. Like, if it tastes like shit, it's, it's, it's just going to be one time and, and that's it. Um, so let's wrap it up. By, so yesterday you were at Dialect, yeah. which is a, a hip craft beer bar yeah. in, in Copenhagen. What, what kind of feedback did you get? With the, what conversations were there? I think, as I kind of mentioned before, sustainability is a conversation down the road. Usually we don't, we don't even touch it ourselves when we go out, let's say, in, in a tap takeovers or any kind of events. We just come with the flavor. We just come with the product. When people get excited about it, and they most of the time do, then we introduce the idea how we do things differently. Um, because for us, it's, it's flavor is first. It's a flavor-forward um, company as well, um, because you know that's the only thing. Some, as our colleagues, uh, or from from another food business here in Copenhagen, deliciousness, 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 deliciousness has to be a driver for for everything in the food space. And for me, it's like yes, and it has to be coupled with uh, with this. I think everyone can become an advocate right now also in the food space, doing things differently, inspiring, breaking boundaries a little bit. Um, so everything just starts with the flavors, just what kind of beer it is, very kind of like a standard, I think. Um, and then when we have opportunity, we push every conversation into, hey, you know, did you know about this? Did you know about that? What, you, what, what do you know about those things? You know, it's a very interesting topic to talk, even you know, when it comes to craft beer owners, but also the guests. Um, and how this communication, for example, we don't even have to go that far with the circularity or upcycling. Next time you are here or anywhere else in a craft beer bar, look how many organic, actually anyone writes organic beer. What we found out that even the beer is organic, the beer, uh, the craft, uh, craft beer bars, not necessarily going to put that out there. It just doesn't hold any value yet in that particular space. That's also what's for us, like, mm, you know, with all these values, it's not necessarily where we want to be exactly. Um, but now we're trying to find also different kind of ways to talk about it. And, um, yeah, so I think conversation, the most important is that the conversation is ongoing. That's the most important for me. Which way it's going to go and how, I think um, it's yet to be seen, but has to be has to be happening for sure all right man it's a nice little intro introduction to to copenhagen uh yeah man thanks so much um not much more to say we could we could talk for, forever and ever but uh I, I learned as much as i can from you today <laughs> and i know we'll, we'll definitely stay in touch with you but thanks so much simon here at brol in copenhagen and i'm jimmy carboni thanks to armin spengen our engineer who's going to clean up this raw recording out in the field. Uh, catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks so much. Cheers. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.